I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. People with food allergies were actually kind of the hardest to win over because there's such a high barrier to entry with that consumer. And I I should have known that being a food allergy mom. I need to hear about a product from my No Nuts Mom Facebook group and my allergist. And like, I, I need to really trust it before I try it. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, founder and CEO of Partake Foods, Denise Woodard, tells us all about how a family health reality morphed into a business reality in the best way possible. Partake's cookies, assorted snacks, and most recently baking mixes are all gluten-free, vegan, and allergen-free from peanuts, tree nuts, eggs, wheat, milk, soy, fish, and shellfish, and found in over 2,700 stores across the U.S. But building an empire from scratch is rarely easy, and in Denise's case, there were some pretty tough moments along the way. I sold my engagement ring, I emptied my 401k, we were dipping so, like, I I still don't have an engagement ring. (laughs) Find out where Denise got the entrepreneurial call. Spoiler alert, it involves a zoo. How she managed to follow her heart even when the money wasn't there. And what Partake Foods plans to tackle next. Unfinished Biz starts now. Rob, I'm really excited about this interview. I mean, Denise is a... You know, the really founder story here is similar to a number of different companies that we've seen start over the years, which is really solving for a personal need. And in this case, it relates to her daughter who had a number of different allergies, but she wanted to make sure that she had access to tasty food as well. And that's right. I mean, maybe one difference, though, is that she actually did have some experience and we're going to hear more about you know, her time a little bit at Coca-Cola. Uh, it's different though, right? When you're actually starting a business from scratch versus working at a huge global conglomerate. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think it necessarily helped the journey be much easier than, than any other entrepreneur. And we were able to catch up with Denise from her home base in New Jersey when she walked us through the roller coaster ride that Partake Foods has been on. So I grew up um, the daughter of an entrepreneur father. My dad's an over-the-road truck driver with a small trucking company in North Carolina. Always had a side hustle. I had a ticket brokering business while I was working my corporate job, as well as a eBay business, neither of which was very scalable. What kind of tickets? So I bought some Beyonce tickets by accident once for the wrong city, and then I resold them and made a lot of money. And I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. And at the time I was working from home, so I was always in front of my computer at 10 a.m. Eastern, Central, Pacific time, so I could always try to buy tickets. And so it was just like a ticket arbitrage thing I did. That's great. And and so always had a side hustle, but I spent my career working at Coca-Cola, had no intention of leaving. Uh, My daughter came along. She's nearly six now, but right around her first birthday, we learned she has a lot of food allergies. I was frustrated with the options that existed. Our nanny, Martha, suggested that I start a food company, and I took her advice. Well, what type of roles did you hold while while at Coca-Cola? So a variety of sales roles, um, had a chance to work in multicultural marketing, really worked on the large trademark business and brands, and then started thinking about having a family and didn't really feel as good selling those brands and had the opportunity to move over to venturing and emerging brands where I worked on brands like Zico Coconut Water and Honest Tea. And then, so you're, you're at Coca-Cola, you, you, you mentioned, tell us a little bit more about the inspiration for becoming an entrepreneur from, you know, outside of Coca-Cola. 
Sure thing. So my daughter, Vivian, um, shortly after her first birthday, we learned that she's allergic to most tree nuts, corn, which is a really tricky one, bananas, and I'm missing one tree nuts, corn, bananas, and eggs, um, which is a very odd combination, makes it hard to to find things that she can eat safely. And so our nanny, Martha, who has a small piece of equity in the company now, was like, why does your daughter have the most boring diet ever? I explained to her all of my woes of shopping the allergy-friendly aisle, which was, I don't have any dietary restrictions, and I'd always equated gluten-free and vegan with healthy, started turning over packages and realized often there's more sugar and gums and starches and all the weird stuff I didn't want to give my child. So things didn't fit the bill from a nutritional perspective. There were a few brands I felt like were doing a great job nutritionally, but the product tasted exactly like I expected a very healthy, (laughs) allergy-friendly product to taste. And my daughter would literally reject them. And then most of all, I started to think about the emotional consequences, how many play dates and holidays and birthday parties she would be left out of because of her dietary restrictions and realized how many other kids and adults are just like her. And when I couldn't find solutions that met my family's needs, I was sharing all of this with Martha and her response was, you should start a food company. So at that point in time, were you already, you know, baking, cooking? Is this a passion of yours just to begin with? It wasn't, but I think it became necessary because I wasn't able to find kind of the pre-made products for my daughter that would have made my life a lot more convenient. So I was making everything from scratch for her. See, you, you had this inspiration from your daughter and your nanny. How did you put it into practice? What did you do first? We were in line at the zoo on a Saturday. I was telling my husband, Jeremy, you won't believe the idea that Martha had. Person in line turned around and said, this sounds like a really good idea. You should enter this small business competition. There was a small business competition in New Jersey where I live called the Start Something Challenge. Applications were closing that Monday night. It was a Saturday. I incorporated an LLC that I named Vivi's Life because I really knew nothing other than I wanted to make Vivi's life easier. Entered the competition, won, which came with $10,000, which was really helpful. It also came with some local press. And so it forced me to tell my employer very early on what I was doing because the last thing I needed was them to see me on the local news saying, you know, local woman starts allergy friendly food company, which gave me the necessary kick in the butt to leave my job because otherwise I probably would have tried to turn this into a side hustle as well. When you pitched in this competition, you know, it was purely conceptual at the time. Purely conceptual. Yeah, I'd done a little research and learned like there was a contract manufacturer that I really wanted to work with and understood what I was thinking from a product standpoint, but we had nothing other than an idea. How'd you decide what product to start with? We, I knew that like starting a business was enough of a leap for me. And so I knew that like manufacturing the product in-house was not the right solution because it was going to be a big enough learning curve just running the business. So I looked for contract manufacturers that were top eight allergen free. There's not very many that exist. When I found one that I, I believed in and I wanted to work with, they could only do a limited number of products. It was like cookies, baking mixers, and bars. And I wanted something that people could take on the go. I wanted something that felt a little bit more indulgent and celebratory. So cookies it was. That makes sense. And so as you're entering the entrepreneurial world, having been part of the Venturing Emerging Brands group at Coca-Cola, what did you find was applicable and not? Um, 
resources were not applicable. <laughs> I, I, I had way more money, way more people at Coke than, than I could have ever dreamed of in starting Partake. So that was not applicable. I think the commitment to brand, staying true to what your brand is, making sure that every touch point that a consumer has, whether it's a customer response email or packaging is on brand is something I learned from my time at Coca-Cola. And as much as like processes and hierarchies are kind of hard, sometimes I learned that it was really institutional important to institute process, particularly around food safety and building the team. So when you started, can you talk a little bit about, you know, there was obviously you didn't have Coca-Cola resources, but what resources did you have? Were there other people around or was this you and Google? It was me and Google for the most part. <laughs> so I, I left my career in August of 2017 to launch Partake. We launched with three SKUs, totally self-funded and self-distributed. I kept cookies in a climate-controlled storage unit in Jersey City where I live. I filled up the back of my SUV every day and I would just pound the pavement, doing demos, going to natural food stores. Um, you know, we outsourced where we could, so we had somebody help us with packaging. Otherwise, like it was me and QuickBooks and Google and my demo table for quite a while. And did you have it, was it named Partake from the beginning? It was. And so whenever we launched with that packaging, the name was Partake. And the reason for that was I felt like so many of the brands in the space focused on what wasn't in the product and know this and know that. And what I wanted to create was an inclusive feeling about what was in the product and everyone coming together to enjoy and create these feelings of celebration and togetherness that I felt like were missing from this category. So you had this product that you you found a co-packer, you have a way to make the product, you have a name for the, for, so did you just start driving to natural food stores? Like how did you start selling the product? I think we're pretty lucky in that we live in the New York area. So I think the stores here are very welcoming to entrepreneurs and there's enough of a critical mass of natural food stores that you can at least get an idea of if this is a viable business. And so I scoured all of my competitors' websites and made lists of the natural food stores that they were in and then I yeah. went to those stores. And what feedback did you get when you walked into the store? You know, people, particularly like store owners and managers were really receptive. The crowd category was crowded. And so I don't know that they really believe that we were going to have any success. But I think the fact that I started the company for my daughter, the fact that I was willing to sell the product in right then and do a demo the same night, like they just respected the hustle and were willing to give us a chance. So how did you think about all the other things that kind of come with with getting on shelf? pricing your product, where you want it to sit, things of that nature. Was that just kind of coming second nature from your background? Or was that something you had to learn? I think it was a combination of the two. I think that there were a lot of like the full acronym dictionary of OI and MCB and all of those things I was familiar with right. from my experience at Coke. I had worked really in a sales silo, so I hadn't ever been responsible for like price strategy or commercializing a product, but I knew enough to be dangerous combined with just tapping as many people as I could find in the natural foods industry. I was so amazed by how welcoming people were, how they were willing, no matter how big their company was, to take the time to, to sit down and chat with me and listen to my ideas and help me think through distribution stat strategy and price strategy. But it also all felt really complicated. And like, we didn't have that much money and I couldn't afford to make a mistake, which is why we tried to keep it really small until we felt a bit more comfortable with what we were doing. And, and what was that point? 
So for me, that was, we launched in August of 2017. I self-distributed until May of 2018, at which point we went into the Southwest region of Whole Foods and we went into Wegmans. We specifically chose those retailers because we couldn't afford syndicated data and they give you data so I could understand <laughs> how, how I was performing. And then we didn't have a really... Uh, robust marketing strategy outside of local events and demos. And both of those retailers were really supportive of demos. And we knew that we had a high conversion rate when people tried the product. And so our next step after self-distributing was Whole Foods and Wegmans in the summer of 2018. And what did you, what did you learn when you, when you got in there? I learned that our packaging wasn't as great as I thought it was. <laughs> as much as I focused on, you know, creating this like really joyful brand, what was coming across was like our original iteration of packaging had all these icons like no eggs, no soy, no dairy. And so as much as I said, I didn't want to be just a food allergy brand. And I didn't want to just call out the things that weren't in the product. That's what I was guilty of. And I noticed I would have my husband do demos and I would do demos and I would tell all these features and benefits. It's allergy friendly and made in a top eight allergen free facility. And I I would lose the consumer and the packaging wasn't appealing. Whereas my husband would leave with, lead with like, this is a really good cookie. Do you want to try it? And he would beat me every time. <laughs> so I, I think I was going a little too heavy and trying to communicate all the things that I thought were so great about the product. So, so outside of your, your husband also stepping in a bit to help, what, what did the team look like by the time you were kind of tackling these bigger retailers? So up until January of 2020, I was the only full-time employee of Partake. So we outsourced wherever we could, um, you know, through a mom's group I'm in, I found a small marketing agency that was willing to work with our $200 a month budget. I outsourced demos to my brother-in-law. Um, my husband has a finance background. I made him do our model as models and our QuickBooks. <laughs> like we just tried to find, you know, inexpensive help wherever we could. So what would you say to entrepreneurs who say, well, you can't start a food business without a ton of money? What would you say? Well, look at us. It's possible. <laughs> it's hard. It's exhausting. Um, some days are like soul crushing and it does get expensive, like as scrappy as we thought we were being. We still did have to go out and raise a friends and family round as after we launched Whole Foods and Wegmans. So like and I, I think we were cutting costs wherever we possibly could. So it's not cheap to start a food business, but you can start without a ton of outside capital. How did you think about gross margins from the beginning? So I, through conversations with like more experienced investors or founders, everyone like 40 seemed to be the magic number. Everyone was like, you need to have a 40% margin. And so we did, our price on shelf was a little higher than I'd like. Like we were 599 when we launched at Whole Foods and, and thankfully now through some scale in our business, we're at 499, but it was more important to me to get the margin and make sure that we were building what I felt like was a sustainable business. And you mentioned, you know, a lot of very supportive natural foods industry. How did you go about getting to know people? I would just cold email people or like reach out on LinkedIn. And then one person would say, well, you know, this other person is really good at this. You should talk to them. And it was just like a chain effect, um, like nothing I've ever seen before. I would tell friends in other industries and they would be like, you should be more cynical. Like they, they probably are trying to steal your idea or like, but it just seemed like a genuine good and, and desire to, to bring better foods to more people. I love it. It is it is a very supportive ecosystem of people. I think it's one of the greatest things about the the natural food space. You mentioned a friends and family around that you you raised. Like so, how did you do that? 
that was in very small dribs and drabs of five and ten thousand dollar checks um i always thought we were going to run out of money we started a convertible note with a goal to raise a million dollars we were able to raise um, about 40 percent of that but it took us about seven months so we never had all of the money at one time we were always scared that we were going to run out of money but somehow through a combination of friends and friends and old colleagues and people's great aunts and just people who believed in the story um, we were able to to keep the lights on and raise that round to be able to kind of get to the next step of the business. Is this when uh, is this when Jay-Z's firm got involved? No, this was before Jay-Z's firm got involved. So this was in the summer of 2018. Okay. In the summer of 2019, we raised a seed round that was led by Jay-Z's uh, Marcy Venture Partners. Well, well, walk us through the, the, the change that occurred between that 12-month period. So between the summer of 2018 and summer of 2019, we had our shot. We were in Wegmans, we were in Whole Foods. We did the same thing we did in New York, which was demo every single day, sign up for every single gluten-free show, vegan show, vegetarian show that we could find in the area. And we continued to see really positive business metrics, which gave me the confidence to go out to begin to raise a seed round of funding. We were pitching every angel group under the sun. We got told no uh, nearly 90 times. Uh, we nearly ran out of money. I sold my engagement ring. I emptied my 401k. We were dipping so, like, I, I still don't have an engagement ring. Hold up, yeah, you sold, you, so you sold your engagement ring. I sold my engagement ring. So how, walk us through the, the state of mind. Like, wh- like how, how did it come to that? And how did you get comfortable doing that? It came to that because we were having a really hard time raising the the friends and family round. Like I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. Like we don't have any accredited investors in my family. Um, you know, as friends of friends, old colleagues, and we were running out of people to ask and we were running out of money, but our velocity continued to be really good at this retailer. So I believed that what we were doing was working. Um, I think also like knowing that I started the company for my daughter and while she was young, I understood, I knew that she understood what I was doing and so it'd be one thing i think if the business failed but to to give up when i knew that i had you know other resources i could tap i just wouldn't have been able to look her in the eye and tell her i started something for her and then i quit so i just was crazy enough to keep going you know to dig in on this point again it's just like so you know at what point what else did you sell again before you got to the engagement ring I don't remember what came first. I think I sold my engagement ring and then I emptied my 401k. Okay. I didn't empty it at one time. It was just like, okay, I'll take this amount out right. and then we'll raise enough money and then we did it. And so then I was like, okay, I'll take a little bit more <laughs> out and then there wasn't anything left to take. What else did you learn that year about your business prior to raising you know, money from Jay-Z? We learned that there were a lot of people who didn't have food allergies who were really big fans of our product. People with food allergies were actually kind of the hardest to win over because there's such a high barrier to entry with that consumer. And I I should have known that being a food allergy mom, I need to hear about a product from my No Nuts Mom Facebook group and my allergist. And like, I I need to really trust it before I try it. But there were much broader groups of people, um, you know, health conscious moms who needed a school safe snack, people who wanted to support a woman owned or black owned brand, tried the product and fell in love. And so it really opened to my my eyes to how much broader the, the appeal for Partake could be. And then how, how did you come to, to meet Jay-Z? 
So through a friend of a friend, we got introduced to Marcy Venture Partners right as we were going into Whole Foods and Wegmans. And we were way too early for them, but we stayed in touch. And thankfully, our business continued to move in the right direction. We continued to hit the metrics that I committed we were going to hit. <laughs> and we, we reconnected. And they were fans of the mission. They were fans of the product. And they've been a fantastic investor group since. And you were still the only full-time employee at that time then, right? I was still the only full-time employee, <laughs> yeah. yes. And then so you, you ra- how much did you raise in that in I that raised round? a million dollars, and then that was uh, June of 2019. And what did that enable you to do? That enabled me to scale the business a bit more past like the Whole Foods and the Wegmans. And so we finished 2019 in about 350 stores, still really a regional brand, like a pocket up in the Northeast, down in Texas, but with bigger plans for 2020. It allowed me to to beef up my spend on uh, outside consultants until we could find the right team members to bring in-house to begin to build the team out in-house a bit more. Um, And it gave us some credibility, I think, with retailers who we've been talking to for a while who were kind of like, I like this idea. I like this product, you know, your one region of data looks good, but you don't have any money. I don't know if you're going to be able to support the brand. And it also gave us a big hit in terms of brand awareness and publications and influencers picking up the brand. What was the next level of retailers that took a chance on Partake? So we finished 2019 in 350 stores. And then in 2020, we launched Target nationally. We launched seven regions of Whole Foods. We launched Sprouts and the Fresh Market um, and Trader Joe's. And how did you do that in the middle of a pandemic? You know, now that I look back on it, I wonder, like, thankfully, we have a team in place now that's amazing and engaged and like, so like, we wouldn't have been able to do it without the team. And you had that at the beginning of 2020? At the start of 2020, a couple of the consultants that I had been working with on a part-time basis became full-time team members. And so it's been a match made in heaven. So right now we're a team of six full-time employees. And what type of roles have you prioritized? Um, I initially, the first hire was a director of operations. I feel like I have a decent handle on sales and marketing, but like spending time tracking down freight and ordering ingredients and forecasting, I wasn't very good at it. And I probably was more effective focusing on sales and marketing. So that was the first hire that we brought in. Um, Very soon thereafter, we realized we need a little bit more help on the day-to-day operations. And so we have two operations employees, a sales employee, a marketing employee, myself, and a chief of staff who kind of uh, helps keep everyone uh, on track. Is your husband still out there demoing? Not during COVID, but soon as this is over, yeah, he's back at happening. it. I like it. Don't, 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 you can't let him off the hook now. Of course not. Well, I was kind of curious about that because it sounded like a big part of the secret sauce from before was the ability to actually get in front of consumers and have them taste the product and that would win them over. Obviously, during a time of COVID, that's not as available. Um, so where did you guys or how did you guys pivot that strategy to kind of make it work for you? I will say it was a very stressful time because we went into 1600 targets the second week of May. And so it was, you know, as the country had just started to shut down, was shutting down. And a lot of our strategy was built on in-person events. And then for Whole Foods and other retailers, it was going to be demo, demo, demo. And then at the end of May, George Floyd got killed and there was a newfound um, desire to amplify BIPOC-owned brands. And so it was a really bittersweet time for our business. And I really wrestled with a lot of guilt because our business was in a good place. And like 
we were doing fine and this really unfortunate circumstance happened and all this overdue conversation started to happen and then it benefited our business and I didn't really feel like that was right. And so I really like pivoted and rechanneled that to what could we do to, to bring good to the world. And so we were able to double down on some of our social mission efforts and work with the Food Equality Initiative to support food insecure families and launch a HBCU initiative with several black colleges and universities. But along that way, like we got more influence and press coverage than I could have ever imagined in my wildest dreams this past summer at the time that we were going into all of those additional retailers, which really helped with our velocity and our brand awareness. And what have your learnings been? I mean, you know, to build upon that point, you know, again, uh, you know, the demos have been been such a big part of it. You're going into large, larger retailers, national retailers, where pandemic aside, you weren't really going to demo anyways. How have you driven trial in these larger accounts? And these are, I mean, 1,600 targets. That's a lot of stores to activate uh, of a very, you know, uh, a relatively early stage brand. What, what have you done? So we've gone digital, digital, digital. We've gone uh, done a lot of like bottom of the funnel. So whether it's Instacart or Critio, getting as close to the point of purchase as possible. Um, thankfully, the retailers have leaned in and we've gotten good amount of off shelf and display space and retailers really done a lot of work with influencers and, and just really beefed up our social media, our email, um, you know, starting to text with our customers, making sure that we can touch our consumer as much as possible to keep them aware of what's going on with the business. And what have you learned so far in your expansion to more national mainstream retailers? What, what have you learned? You know, it doesn't feel that different than it did when we were selling in those independent stores, like that it's really important to treat your customers well and to make every experience that your customers have with your brand a really positive one, that it's really important to stay 110% on top of the product and make sure that the quality doesn't falter, that you're able to deliver, like, you know, whether it was me telling my local store, I'm going to be back at 5 p.m. to deliver this product or getting a Target PO and delivering it on time and full, just like doing what we say we're going to do. So the numbers are bigger and the doors are bigger, but it, it feels like the same principles. And it seems like recently you announced another round of fundraising. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure thing. So we closed a $4.8 million Series A uh, the week of Christmas, and we were able to bring in some investor partners that I, I'm just so thrilled to be working with. Um, the participants were uh, FF2032, which is Lotus Bakery's venture arm, um, existing investors like Marcy Venture Partners, uh, Circle Up Growth Partners, and then Rihanna. And how did you come up with that number? Well, we looked at some innovation that we'd like to get into the market and what that will take from a capital expenditure. So there was that. We knew that, you know, going into the additional retail doors that we're going to be in, we will be in about 5,500 doors by the end of Q1. We wanted to make sure that we were able to really adequately support those retailers. I think I've been so used to being scrappy and so used to not having any money that we also haven't been able to support the retailers from a marketing perspective in the way that we need to, to be able to make sure our velocity is strong for a brand at this early of a stage. So we want to be able to invest in the brand. And then we're six people, but we have some pretty exciting growth plans coming up. And so I think we need to build out the team a bit more. And I think I saw somewhere, are you launching like baking mixes or something? Or Yes. Well, I think I saw a picture of the packaging online somewhere. Could you tell us a little bit more about, about the innovation? 
Sure, so that did not go through like our normal like stages and gates process. Um, this summer when we were stuck at home, my daughter's favorite pancake mix got discontinued and I was like, what do I do? And so we created a, a new one that I was like, this is so good, we need to, to sell it, like, we need to share this with more people. And so that's where the idea for the baking mix came from. It's a five in one mix that you can do pancakes, waffles and muffins and things with. We're only keeping it on our website for right now. We don't have plans to take that product into retail. Like I think we have enough to chew in terms of the the retail doors that we have with our cookies but we thought it was a fun enough and good enough product that our customers would really enjoy it so tell us a little bit more about where where does partake go from here what's it going to look like in a year or two years from now sure so i think you know, the things that are core to our brand are we want to make products that taste good, not just good for allergy friendly, but good, that have ingredients you understand, that are free of the top eight allergens so nearly everyone can eat them safely. And we want to lift as we climb. We want to continue to support inclusivity and diversity in the natural food space. We want to continue and double down on our social mission efforts. And, you know, as much as I'd like to think people can live off of cookies, I, I think like there, there needs to be more. And so I try. Well, I try really hard. I'm pretty close, but you know, I, I think we will release some additional innovation outside of cookies in the coming years and that there's some room to grow from a distribution perspective as well. Right after the break, we'll be back with our featured guest, founder and CEO of Partake Foods, Denise Woodard. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can find us in any podcast app of your choice and all new and past episodes are at unfinishedbiz.com. Follow us on our Unfinished Biz LinkedIn page for news and updates. Special thanks to everyone who's left us an iTunes review. But now, let's get back to our episode with Partake Foods founder and CEO, Denise Woodard. Question for you. Uh, We've already chatted a little bit about this, but what was the bet the company moment for, for Partake? I don't know if it was bet the company, but it was definitely all chips in when we emptied that 401k and sold the the engagement ring and maxed out the credit cards. (laughs) Yeah, that that that's that that seems to to fit the definition. By the way, I love that. I think it goes back to that conversation we had earlier in terms of the the statement we hear a lot more today than we did a decade ago when when we were earlier on in VMG was I can't you know I can't do this without raising a major round with investors. And what we hear from you is what we've heard from a lot of our successful entrepreneur partners over the years is that they. They maxed out credit cards, they mortgaged their house, they they cleared their 401k. And it it's not the act in itself that is that 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 um, makes the company special. It creates this sense of fiscal responsibility and a sense of urgency and an understanding of the business at a whole nother level. We found that when they raise a massive round early, the discipline often isn't there. You know, they're hiring people faster, so they don't know their business like a scrappy entrepreneur does. They don't set up the right gross margins. They just don't think about each th- each area of the business at the level of detail that someone who mortgages their house does. And so, again, it's not the act itself of mortgaging the house. It's they, they generally set up better businesses on the upfront because they had to. So, I, again, I applaud you in that. Thank you. Now we're definitely watching every single penny. And even after this round, like the immediately after the funds were wired, we moved a, most of it to, to a money market account. Like we want to continue no matter how much money we have in the bank to act like we only have a little bit of money in the bank. Our best brands are always have always been maniacal about cash, cash planning 
and thinking about every penny. You know, this this has been quite the journey so far. Could you share what the highest point has been for you in terms of the most joy you've had in something that's transpired so far? Sure thing. So one of our first accounts was an independent natural store called Brooklyn Fair. It's in the West Village in the city. Um, my daughter at the time was, I guess, about three. And she it was the first time she like recognized our cookies outside of like our house. And she ran down, down the aisle and she was like, mommy's cookies. And yeah. then to have that same feeling in 2020 when we went to our local Target and she saw that like something we created in our house because of a need our family had and a desire to want to help other people had made it to like the big stage was really exciting. That's great. And was there a, a notable low point so far? Yeah, that fundraising journey was pretty soul crushing. I think um, on the path to the seed round, we got 86 no's and people told me how hard fundraising was but to be able to continue keeping this business metrics to make people want to invest in your business while going out every single day and spending your entire day getting told no on something that's so personal to you is pretty difficult and then being a sole founder and like not really having many other people who've been through that experience that you can share it with is a pretty lonely place I'm kind of curious. I think a lot, a lot of the folks who listen are founders or aspiring founders, and and you know, I think setting them up to understand that they're going to hear a lot of no's is incredibly important. Just to actually add a little bit of detail to that, you know, when people said no, what kind of excuses did they give you? The category's not big enough, and then on the opposite end of that, there's too many people in the category. It's too big. <laughs> You're too early. Um, we, you need a team. Yeah, I'd hire one if I had some money. Just like so many, so many reasons. Well, at this point, you know, I, it, obviously, you guys have had many inflection points and a lot of really big wins. But what's keeping you up at night? You know, coming from big CPG and seeing all the processes and hierarchy, there was a lot of stuff I thought we should bring and a lot of stuff I wanted to leave behind. And as I have the opportunity to build out our team, I feel so protective of our culture because I think we're in an amazing place. I am so proud of the team members that we have and so excited about them. And I want to protect that. And I know that as we grow quickly and add more people, it will be more exposed and it will be more at risk. And so making sure that we really continue to value our employees know how much let them know how much they're valued and really protect the culture while building a sustainable business that has the processes and infrastructure that you need to, to have in a scalable company so robin i mean denise's founder story is really a great you know bootstrap story i mean there was definitely a first on this one she sold her engagement ring to keep the company going oh, no. but it was a great contrast to what we often hear from entrepreneurs which is they got to raise a ton of money build a massive team in order to have a real shot at it. And even today, she only has a six-person team, but but in really gaining traction in the business. And even after she gained that traction, I think the thing that I found so surprising was that when she went out and tried to fundraise, she got 86 no's. I mean, that is hard to stomach. I mean, it was almost 99 problems, but Marcy Ventures ain't one as she landed Jay-Z as her first major investor in the business. That was terrible on so many different levels. I don't even know where to start. You think they're going to sign me? <laughs> well, when Denise isn't baking cookies, what she really likes to spend her time doing is just honestly hanging with her family. I hang out with my family, my daughter and my friends and family. I like to cook. I don't like to bake. I think I bake so many cookies now that it's just like, that's hard for me. But I, I like to cook. And when the world is open, I, I love to travel. Well, what's, what's your favorite thing to cook? 
I like Korean food. My mom's Korean, my dad's black, and I'm just starting to experiment with some Korean food. So my daughter and I made kimbap this week, last weekend, and we're going to make bulgogi this weekend. And so we're exploring Korean food. It just made my my stomach growl. I'm so I, <laughs> I, I, I love Korean food. So just hearing you even talk about it gets me certainly gets makes me hungry. It's game time. It's our signature game, a uh, rapid fire theme, 60 seconds. These are very, very serious questions. So looking for your best foot forward here. You ready? This is always the hardest part. Yeah, I think so. All right. What's your favorite holiday tradition? Thanksgiving dinner. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Macaroni and cheese. Have you developed any new habits since the beginning of the pandemic? Going on a morning walk every day to get some time outside. Where's your favorite place to work from home? My dining room table. Last great book you've read or movie you've watched? Soul, Disney Pixar Soul with my daughter. That's a good one. What's your least favorite book or movie? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, The Incredibles. <laughs> I watch a lot of Disney, a lot of Pixar around here. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, all right. What TV show or movie are you currently watching? This Is Us. What's your favorite appliance? Coffee maker. Least used appliance? Blender. What's something you can't cook? Homemade pasta. Do you have a signature dish? Fried rice, any kind of fried rice. <laughs> if you could be endorsed by one brand other than your own, what would it be? That's tricky, Patagonia. What's the most useful product or service you've bought this year? Dumbbells. <laughs> What's one item that's always stocked in your pantry other than partake? Bonza pasta. What's something that you always buy at the store but end up never using? That is a tricky one. Oh no, buy at the store, never use. Ice cream. What's the best invention in the last 50 years? Best invention in the last 50 years, iPhone. What's the story behind your name? My parents were going through a uh, name book and liked it. Like <laughs> I like it. Great job, we learned a lot there. And the last question in the show, what's your advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? It doesn't have to be perfect. Like just get started, like a small, it doesn't have to be a big flash, flashy, splashy launch. Like just if it's something you're passionate about and you believe in, like just get going. Wise words. Well, thanks for joining us on Unfinished Biz. Thanks for having me. Thanks. You've been listening to Unfinished Biz. I'm Wayne. And I'm Robin. We'll be back next time with founder and CEO of Munique, Mark Washington, whose fitness, wellness, and health journey has been anything but easy. It's pretty good, you know, and we taste it compared to other shakes. We're like, yeah, it's as good as the other ones, right? Um, consumers said no. These are the opinions of Robin and Wayne and our guest entrepreneur and are not necessarily the opinions and thoughts of VMG partners. And now a word from our lawyers. This is not an offer to buy or sell any investments. Entrepreneurs interviewed on this podcast may not be associated with VMG businesses and discussions of their companies should not be viewed as an endorsement by VMG.